Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. So this morning, I want to start with a question. I want us to actually just take a, take a breath, enjoy a moment of, of quiet. The question is this, is anyone feeling tired today? Now, this is second service, so this is not the tired crowd. You all slept in, right? Would anyone say in the last six months, you would have described yourself as feeling tired or weary at some point? I have, a, okay, a couple of hands, a couple of honest people. I think about the last three or so years, I think there's been a lot of weariness in our world. And... Uh, I think sometimes we're tempted to think weariness and tiredness, it seems, is just a, a part of the human condition, a part of what it means to live in this world of never stopping. Maybe we've convinced ourselves that this is just the way it is, and uh, that, that being a human in this culture is working through our burdens and our weariness. But what we're going to see in today's passage is that it doesn't have to be this way, Today's passage is an invitation to rest in Christ Jesus, to uh, step out of our culture that says we can never stop and instead step into our relationship with Christ. So uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, uh, a couple of verses, verses 28 through 30. And I want you to keep in mind that we are in a series on discipleship, discipling like Jesus. So we, we want to learn uh, from Jesus. He's teaching us here in these few short verses, I think, a, a vital aspect of our discipleship, of what it means to follow him. It says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Learn from me, Jesus says. For I am gentle and humble heart. You will find rest for your souls. Rest, as Jesus sees it, is a vital rhythm of discipleship, an invaluable aspect of our following or apprenticing him. If we look at the pattern of Christ's life, we see that he did this periodically. He would remove himself and go to a faraway place and take a rest and pray and be with the Father. He models this for, with the disciples. Uh, when, when he sends out the 12 to go and preach the gospel, they return to him. They are excited to share everything that has happened through their ministry. And Jesus' response is, hey, come away with me and let's get some rest. This is uh, the pattern that we see of his life. This is, I think, part of what makes Jesus such a great teacher. He knows what we need. He understands our, our, our tendency towards apathy and self-centeredness. So he teaches about the mission of God and the work of the kingdom, right? If you were here last week, we heard this great message uh, from, from Dave, this clear call that as a church, we need to be a church that goes and sends to the ends of the earth, being Christ's witnesses everywhere. And maybe you're feeling a bit of whiplash last week. You were raring to go. And this week is Jesus saying, hey, take a break. But this is, this is part of the point. It is, uh, uh, it is understanding that we will be ineffective in our going. We will be ineffective in our mission and our work for the kingdom 
if we do not know how to find our rest in him. So Jesus knows. He, he knows us. He knows our tendency uh, uh, for, for apathy and self-centeredness, so he teaches on the kingdom, but he also understands our tendency to never stop working, to find our identity in the things that we do and the things that we accomplish. And he says, uh, and really, uh, this is an entire uh, um, paradigm shift for, for, for us and our discipleship with Jesus. Uh, that even, even in this good work that we do, uh, we have a tendency to weigh ourselves down with these burdens. And so he invites us to rest. We'll see that Jesus is not talking about some half measure, striking some nice balance between uh, these heavy burdens uh, and then rest. So it's not just work-life balance, so that's important. No, he is interested in this complete paradigm shift, fundamentally changing our relationship with the world, with our culture, and ultimately with him. So we're going to look at it kind of in two parts today. First, we're going to look at what is the problem? What is the, the problem as Jesus sees it? And then we will look at what is the solution that he offers. The, the problem that Jesus identifies is that we are tired, we're weary, we're burdened. Come to me, you who labor or are weary and are heavy laden. What is this weariness he is referring to? The image that he uses is of an ox yoke, right? Take my yoke upon you. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought that was something about eggs. It's not. Um, so the image is this heavy beam that was placed on the neck of an animal to get it going in the right direction, right? And, and you can have that image of an animal that is weighed down by this heavy uh, burden. But it's not just one animal. This, this ox yoke would actually uh, bind one animal to another, that they would go in the same direction, Elsewhere in the New Testament and scripture, the word yoke is used to describe those who are subject to or oppressed by something, as in those who are subject or slaves to their sin. Not only is this yoke a heavy burden, but it's something that binds us to something else. We are bound to our sin. We're bound to the way of the world. And, and so that's the image that we have of those who are tired and weary and burdened. In part, Jesus has in view uh, a couple of different things. First is a, the, the burdensome demands of overbearing religious performance and works-based salvation, trying to earn our relationship with God. The yoke of the Pharisees, those religious leaders of Jesus' day who expanded the law of God to the point of ridiculousness, to the point where no one could follow or keep track of every demand. And this was a burden that they placed on people that was used to condemn and to heap on shame and guilt. And Jesus has some choice words for uh, those Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. You see, Jesus is frustrated by the burdens they lay on the people. Uh, but also, he's frustrated with their own hypocrisy. The extreme demands that they placed on the people that did nothing for their salvation, and did little to draw them into a close relationship with God. But instead, they're just burdens to bear. Now, we may not live among the Pharisees today. Uh, we may not have these heavy demands on us. But uh, I want us to consider, in what ways do we create ourselves, or, or in our church culture even, uh, overwrought and unhelpful demands in, pract in our practice of faith today, either for ourselves 
or for others. Do you ever think that? Oh, oh that person, to be a good Christian, they better do this. Uh, or, or they better act like this. Jesus doesn't say, I will give you rest if you follow all these rules. Jesus' rest, his grace, his free offer of forgiveness of sins and new life. Hear me, this is the gospel. It is not a transaction. It is a gift. He sees us trying to earn it and he stops us and says, hey, I just want you to come to me. Are you trying to check all the boxes, making sure you go to church, you're in a Bible study, you give to the needy, right? All of these things just to get ourselves in a better position with God. These are good things, but I want us to hear this. These are not saving things. The Apostle Paul, he faced this head on in his letter to the Galatian believers. In chapter one, verses six and seven of Galatians, Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which he says is really no gospel at all. For Paul, there was this group of people, they were adding demands to the gospel of Jesus. As soon as it becomes Jesus's grace plus something else, it's no longer the gospel. As soon as it becomes Jesus's grace is really good, but it's not quite enough. I need to, I need to earn the, 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 my way over the finish line. As soon as we start to do that, then it is no good news at all. We will never find success down that path. This is why this is a heavy burden. It's not as though Jesus doesn't give us obligations. Uh, it seems to me that the demands of Christ's law, the invitation into work in his kingdom, in fact, are greater than the burdens that were placed on uh, the people by the Pharisees. But, right, because he says to, to give up our lives and to take up our cross daily. That, that to me is an extreme demand. But such is the way of our Savior that discipleship to Jesus for all of its stern demands is actually rest compared to all human religion. It may sound like an extreme demand, but when we are finding our cross daily in the identity, our identity in Christ, it is rest compared to these burdens. When we start playing religious games to earn God's favor, we find that we will always fail. We'll never measure up, but taking up our cross and following Christ, in that way, unexpectedly, we find rest. And there's another aspect of these heavy burdens that, that I think Jesus has in mind. He spoke these words to a people who were under the, the burdens of the Pharisees, these, the stringent law keeping, but he also was speaking to a people that were under the yoke of a massive empire, right? The, the Roman empire at the time. The people of Jesus' day, they were under this heavy yoke of Rome and its demands, heavy taxation, this demand for productivity, the demand to be loyal uh, citizens supporting the empire. This recalls the yoke that was on God's people in Israel, uh, God's people Israel in Egypt, a people that were, in Pharaoh's mind, they were only good for what they could produce and how much they could give to Pharaoh. Look at how Pharaoh responds. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses has gone to Pharaoh. He says, let, us, let, let me take the, 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 the Hebrew people into the wilderness to, to make sacrifice. And Pharaoh says, get back to work. Look, the people of the land are now numerous and you're going to stop them from working? See, he, he says, look, there's even more of them. I can get more productivity out of this people and you would have them stop? Then he makes their work harder. Pharaoh actually takes away the, the straw that they were using to make the bricks. That was kind of their, their daily work. 
and they have to go find the straw themselves and still maintain their quotas. And in verse nine, he says, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it. Heavier work that they may labor at it. That's the language of Matthew 11 in our passage today. There was no rest for God's people in this world. No day off, no time or space to just be and to rest. They were constantly trying to meet the demands that were laid upon them. And this was the identity that was put upon them as people who were only good for what they could produce. Now, again, what of us? We we don't seem to live in an oppressive empire. Some of you may disagree. (laughs) With demanding difficult work. But, But really, I'm asking, what cultural systems do we live in today that demand something from us? What is it that we serve, knowingly or not, that make unending demands on our lives. Because we live in a culture that demands productivity and efficiency, that demands constant engagement, never ceasing, never resting. And I ask, is this all we are good for? Is it, is it wealth? Is it career success? Do you find your meaning and identity in the, the relationships that you're able to build and maintain? Is it being liked and respected by others? Maybe it's in material things, always wanting the next and the newest, right? It seems that there's always a new iPhone right around the corner, except they never actually seem that much better than the last. Maybe it's having a a bigger influence on social media. How how do we achieve uh, growth on social media? We have to keep feeding the platform. I was, uh, I'm going to speak of something I know very little about. Uh, I was a youth pastor for many years. There's this terrible app called Snapchat, some of you are familiar with this. I'm, I'm not on it. Don't worry. Um, when I was a youth pastor, I had this distinct memory of one of my students. She, was, uh, uh, um, uh, she got grounded. She lost use of her phone for two weeks. And her mother, um, uh, as part of the arrangement of her grounding, her mom actually uh, did admin on her Snapchat every day to keep up with her streaks, which is like, like using the app every day, like the, the number of days in a row that you have communicated with your friends. Young people, am I right about? Okay, yes, they're nodding their heads. Yes, yes, yes. Can you imagine that this young girl, I mean, she's grounded, you know, but, but her identity was so found in maintaining this social media presence that her mom had to do the admin for her while she was grounded. Uh, and I, I say that, but I think we're all probably subject to things like this feeding the demands uh, of the thing around us. But these things will always disappoint while at the same time demanding more and more and more. Jesus observes this in Matthew chapter six. He says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money is, is the example he gives, but I, but I think it kind of applies to all these things that we're talking about. Uh, to, to put on the yoke of wealth and financial gain is to hitch ourselves to something that will never stop demanding more. There will never be enough. There will always be a drive for more. And the same with any of these other things. There will never be enough praise from other people. There will be never enough approval of others. Never enough social media posts or followers or likes. Walter Brueggemann, uh, uh, Old Testament scholar, theologian, this 90-year-old, probably not on Snapchat. He wrote this short little book a few years ago called Sabbath as Resistance. I want you to think about that title. Sabbath as Resistance. 
Sabbath is a way to resist these things. He, he, in it, he calls these lesser things, these idols that we serve, that we chase after. He, he calls them the gods of insatiable productivity. And he says this, the way of wealth is the way of commodity. That is the way of endless desire, endless productivity, and endless restlessness without any Sabbath. Jesus taught his disciples they could not have it both ways. You see see what Jesus is getting at when he talks about this problem. It is endless striving and working. I think of, it reminds me of this great literary character, Ebenezer Scrooge. And now I I confess, he's from this great Charles Dickens uh, novel, but I confess that when I think of Scrooge, I think of Scrooge McDuck. Some of you think of the Muppets Scrooge, which I think is also a good one. But like, even the name Scrooge has, become to me, has come to have a lot of meaning in our, in our culture. Somebody who's, who's uh, just demanding and miserly. He's this curmudgeon, this wealthy curmudgeon, who begrudgingly gives his employee a single day off for Christmas, but then demands that he come in early the next day to make up for it. For Scrooge, there's never enough work. And it's, it's, if, you, if you go into the Dickens novel, Bob Cratchit, his employee, is literally counting money. That's what he does. He counts money. There is never enough money to be counted. There's no rest when these things are our idols. Now, I'm not saying we quit our jobs, abandon our relationships, but, but, but we need to recognize that to serve these things is to walk toward our own destruction, the, the temptation is to prove our worth by these earthly things, while the invitation of Jesus has come to me, and I will give you rest. We don't have to prove anything to Jesus. And it's, it, it, it's that we would stop working enough to remember that our identity is in the grace of God and as his sons and daughters. Remember, we, we talked about this. There's still work to be done in, in God's kingdom. There's a call on our lives. But it's, it's to cease the doing long enough to remember that we just are sons and daughters of God, dearly loved by him. And that brings us to the solution that Jesus offers. The problem is that we're weary and tired and we have these heavy burdens. The solution as Jesus sees it is, come to me, you will find rest. Sabbath rest. Such is our God, the God of all creation who worked for six days and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. He rested himself. God is not a miserly taskmaster counting our good deeds and weighing them against our sins in some cosmic ledger demanding more productivity from each of us. He's a God who rested. And if God rested on the seventh day after creation, why do we think ourselves immune from needing rest as well? Sabbath rest is a promise from God that we see throughout Scripture. Israel when they, are, when they had no rest in the land of Egypt, God promised to give them rest in the land to which he would give them. He, in fact, God codifies rest in his very law. It's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In fact, if you actually go into Exodus and look at the, the, the listing of the Ten Commandments, the, the commandment on Sabbath has more explanation to it than any other commandment. So important is this, that God is forming his people. No longer is there identity as those who ceaselessly work for Pharaoh in Egypt, but instead it is a people who delight in his law and delight in his rest and in his presence. And Jesus picks this up. 
This is Jesus' discipleship program, no longer bound by the burdens of the Pharisees or the burdens of, of our world. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me and you will find rest. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, learners of his, then we need to learn how to rest in him, to be with him, to delight in his presence through prayer, through the reading of his word, enjoying God in creation. I know many, many of you, we, we find that rest uh, with God in, in places outside and all of that. To find renewal and restoration through our union with Christ our Savior. That is Sabbath rest. And that's what, it's in fact, is what God wants. He says that over and over. I want to be with my people. God, with us, his children. It's not what we do for God. It's not what we do to get to God. It's just about being with God. And I'm going to pause here and say, hey, in our culture, this is really hard. And some of you are thinking, oh, we kind of did this as a staff this summer. We, in a staff meeting, we talked about Sabbath rest. And um, one person said, well, this was obviously written by someone without kids. This was written by a man. <laughs> now, I, I confess, this is really hard. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, uh, the scholar, he, he says the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is the hardest commandment for modern people to follow because of the world we live in. And so I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm trying to learn this as well and create these patterns and boundaries that find our rest in Christ. But I want to give us, I think there's two reasons why uh, Sabbath rest is the solution to this problem of weariness. Um, and, and just to kind of help us ha- have a, a framework for how we can approach our Sabbath. This is not a to-do list of how to do a Sabbath. Um, there are great resources out there for that, but this is uh, really uh, the kind of, what are, what are the reasons we do this? The first is this, Sabbath rest dismantles our idols. Sabbath rest tears down the idols of our world. As, as Brueggemann said, it is resistance against the heavy burdens of works-based righteousness, as well as against the idols of our world that we find ourselves so inclined to serve. Sabbath requires us to stop working, stop doing, stop striving long enough to step out of our cultural stream and into our identity with Christ. The word Jesus uses, rest, literally means to stop, to cease Stopping and resting requires us to let go of our need for control, our need to be needed by others, our insecurity of not feeling uh, like we're enough or we have achieved enough. Jesus has rescued us from needing to prove ourselves worthy. Just like God rescued Israel from slavery, why would we even consider going back? Rest also insists that our lives are not only the sum of what we do or what we produce. Sabbath then becomes this decisive, concrete, visible way of aligning with the God of rest. It is resistance against the idols of success and popularity and wealth, against the heavy burden of endless religious achievement, no longer needing to prove ourselves. I've talked about him a couple of times, but one more quote from Walter Brueggemann. Um, and he connects this to, I think, how we uh, live this out in community. He says, the Sabbath rest of God is the acknowledgement that God and God's people in the world are not commodities to be dispatched for endless production. Rather, they are subjects situated in an economy of neighborliness. I love that. An economy of neighborliness. 
Rest is vital for the way we interact with one another. If we never stop working or achieving or striving, then what are our neighbors to us but competitors, threats to our achievement? The deception of this achievement-obsessed culture is that all of this is some zero-sum game. That if my neighbor is gaining, then I must be losing something. This is, is a, the Pharisees using the pretense of the law to keep people out of their inner circle and their social status. Other people had become threats to them and their power. But this is not so in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is one of abundance, centered on love for him and selfless love for each other. Sabbath then invites us to say, how can I stop and how can I love my neighbor today? How can I uh, share uh, in the kingdom of God with others? If we have no margin in our schedules, if everything is wall to wall, if we're desperate for a little relief and escape, how can we rightly love our neighbors? If someone is in a crisis around us, how can we, in our own busyness, step out of it long enough to serve someone else? Real rest in Christ, though, it fills us for another day of loving our neighbors wherever we go. And so we see rest then becomes this group project. This is why we come together on Sunday mornings and worship God. This is, this is, why, uh, this is why my wife, I think, said Alpha becomes a place of rest because it's space with others to contemplate our Lord. One writer described, uh, talking about the Jewish Sabbath this way, and I love this description, says this, Jewish Sabbath began in the evening when the family sets all, uh, sets aside all the to-dos of the work week. That's kind of Friday night sunset. As the lamps were lit, everyone settled into the evening calm of Shabbat. Candles, prayers, blessings, food, it all represented the delight and refreshment in the presence of God and with each other. So we can delight when we stop doing these things. When bedtime came, the family rested in God's protection. And then they woke on Sabbath morning to a world they did not make and to a friendship with God they did not earn. They wake, we wake on Sabbath morning to a world we did not make and to a friendship with God that we have not earned. But it's there nonetheless. We did not make this world and we don't keep it going. And yet here we are. We did not earn our salvation. We do nothing to maintain it. And yet here we are, sinners saved by grace. And that kind of leads me to this, the second reason for Sabbath, my closing idea today. The first is Sabbath dismantles our idols. The second is this, Sabbath rest is how we live out the gospel of Jesus. By committing to this practice that is so different from the world, we're saying to the watching world, we don't work to please God or any false God. But we can rest because God is already pleased with us. This is good news. God is already pleased. When we prioritize real rest, rest that is centered on the love of God and love of neighbor, we're communicating by the way we live something of the good news to the world. The rest that Jesus invites us into is more than we can imagine. It's more than getting a good night's sleep or taking a nap after church, which, you know, you should do. It's nice. Actually, Sabbath is the very heart of Christianity. It's an invitation to lay aside everything, these heavy burdens, all of these expectations, and put instead the yoke of Christ on ourselves to find our identity in him. We heard Meg share this, finding our identity in Christ and setting aside everything else. 
Earlier, right, we talked about the, the image of this yoke, this heavy beam, and, and we are hitched to another animal. If we hitch ourselves to these other idols, it leads to destruction, to religious performance, material gains, social success, we'll find failure. Instead, Jesus says, uh, hey, hitch yourself to me. Hitch yourself to me. I, I've already got this figured out. I've already secured your salvation. And I was struck this morning thinking about this. There's this amazing thing that actually happens. It's not just that Jesus says, hey, put my yoke upon you. Hitch yourself to me. It is easy and I will give you rest. Jesus, when he became human, when he walked this earth, he actually put on the yoke of our sin and our punishment. He put on the yoke of our burdens and our weariness so we can shed these things. He put that yoke on so he could save us. Jesus' invitation is to hitch ourselves to him, that we would go where he leads. We find this is an easy yoke, for he has already secured our salvation and his work is finished. Tim Keller uh, once said, there's no better summary of Christianity than these verses in Matthew 11, because this is it. This is the Christian faith. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is this gentle invitation to find our salvation and hope wholly in the work of Christ and then to rest in him. To truly, deeply set aside our burdens and rest in in his work and his grace and his goodness. So our call as disciples is that we would learn to lay aside these lesser gods and put on Jesus and rest in Him. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the Sanctuary for Classic Worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for Modern Worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.